What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of Land Grant, HolyLand.com, your premier resource for everything Ohio State news and athletics. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on September 10th, 2017, on a Sunday. Hope you all are enjoying your weekend and doing better than I'm sure all of us were doing yesterday. But we are here to break down what happened last night. Ohio State drops their second game of the season, drops their first game of the season, but their home opener against the Oklahoma Sooners, 31-16. to And to do that and talk about everything that happened, I am joined by fellow Lane Grant contributor and my buddy Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, welcome to hell, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so you were at the game last night, and before we get into it, what was the uh, what was the experience like? What was the crowd like? How how was the atmosphere for a top five matchup? Well, the first three quarters were it was it was a really fun game to um, to be there for and to to watch near the end of the third quarter or beginning of the fourth quarter Oklahoma went up I want to say 24-13 and the crowd kind of started to die down a little bit and people really started to leave even which was disappointing to see but for the most part it was really loud I was I mean it's it's Ohio Stadium and it's supposed to be loud but I was really impressed there was specifically there was the um there's the series where Oklahoma had the ball on the I want to say their own one yard line it was like second down and it was that was probably the loudest I've heard of the stadium since the uh the Michigan game last year when the the spot was extremely good but yeah I was I was impressed with the atmosphere and obviously uh though we didn't get the result that we wanted but I was impressed with the with the turnout when did that sense of dread come over the crowd because you talked about people leaving but was it like the middle of the second quarter when Ohio State's offense wasn't going what when was the time where everybody was like oh shit this is this is real and 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 this may happen well halftime halftime you could tell people weren't people weren't exactly pleased standing in in lines for food or anything everyone was kind of very grumbly and upset and kind of hushed talking about what had happened in the first half but I think the really the sense of dread had started to set in like I said late third quarter and um really really hit when Oklahoma went up 31-13 early on in the fourth quarter. That's when people kind of checked out a little bit, and Ohio State's sad field goal late in the fourth quarter didn't really help that all that much. Well, unfortunately, we have to break down the game itself, and there's probably not, there's nowhere else to start with this and, and looking back on it than any place but the offense and JT Barrett. Barrett finishes 19 of 35 passing, 183 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. I don't think a lot of those yards came late, but there was a good portion that came in that last drive. How would you assess his performance last night, and what do you think about the Ohio State quarterback situation going forward? Because that is the hot-button issue today among Ohio State fans. Well, to quote um, freshman quarterback Tate Martell um, when he was referring to a Texas A&M quarterback a couple years ago, the passing game was ass, my dude. I mean, it, the, it was terrible. Yeah, the offense was bad. I mean, the rushing attack was decent. J.K. Dobbins looked solid. Mike Weber was still obviously injured, but he looked good. But the passing game was—I mean, it was—it was really bad. It looked like against the, it looked like against Michigan. It looked like it did against Clemson. It—I mean, Oklahoma's defense is not 
at least. I don't think it's not an elite defense, but it completely looked dominant against one of the worst passing attacks I've seen in the Urban Meyer era. So without garbage time in that last drive, this was basically the fourth time in the last five games that Ohio State's been held under five yards per play. And that only happened seven times in Meyer's first 64 games at Ohio State. And one of the things that really struck me was post-game hearing him talk where he said something along the lines of, we got to go back and, and get this darn thing fixed. And, you know, we, we need to do it now. And if I remember correctly, that was almost basically the same thing he said after the Clemson game. And it feels like, to your point and a lot of other people's, that it, it would be one thing if Ohio State lost this game 40 to 35 and the offense was able to put up points. But it just seems like it's the exact same story that we've seen from them, not only in the last five games, but earlier in 2016 and a big portion of the 2015 season. Yeah, this looked like the same offense that we've really complained about since the 2014 National Championship. I mean, it, the passing game was non-existent. Oklahoma was able to stack the box for the entire game, essentially. I mean, their safeties were playing roughly eight yards off the line, and they were blitzing pretty much every play. Um, JT Barrett was really no threat at all to throw the ball anywhere farther than five yards down the field. Um, we still saw those just weird play calls where he would throw he'd throw five yards when we needed 10 or six when we needed 12, or we'd see a draw on third and 18, or we would roll them out. There was a, there was a specific play. I think that the exact moment that the dread set in was when Ohio state was down 24, 13 early in the fourth quarter and they were driving and it was like I said, fourth and four and they rolled Barrett out to the right and he just completely threw the ball away. And I don't think that that rollout play has ever worked <laughs> and they've tried it so many times in situations like that. And it, it just, it felt like, it felt like all those other games that you know, Ohio State ultimately went on to lose, like the Virginia Tech game or the uh, the Clemson game or the almost the Michigan game last year. It just it was that that sense of helplessness on offense. I went back and I looked at the offense and all the plays last night, and there were five, at least five of those rollout plays. And I want to say that one was completed to Terry McLaurin for about eight yards. There was a first down to Benjamin Victor earlier in the game, but. There was three that there was one early to the left to Johnny Dixon that Barrett just threw in the dirt, which like rolling JT Barrett out anyway, I don't think is a good idea, but especially rolling out, rolling him out to his left, the odds of that being successful are basically nil. And then that fourth and three play to KJ Hill that you mentioned, he put the ball in a place where only Hill could get it. But at the same time, that was a play where Ohio State needed it. And the play call in that situation seemed very shaky and the one thing that that really worries me about the offense and, and what they're doing is when Kevin Wilson came in there was a lot of talk that it wasn't going to be his full offense but they were going to do things a little bit differently and it looked like basically the, the same offense schematically that we've seen not just in the results but in the way that they ran things and a lot of the concepts that they ran and had success with against Indiana, especially stuff over the middle of the field that we saw Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell in particular have success on a lot of that didn't seem like it was really in the playbook last night. Yeah. And I don't know if it's even a lack of 
intermediate stuff that we saw against Indiana being successful. I don't know if it was even a lack of that being called as much as it was just Oklahoma's a better team than Indiana is. Oklahoma has athletes all over the field, and while they're they're not all you know four and five star blue chip guys like Ohio State has, they're they're a really good team, and they have they have a more athletic defense than Indiana does, and when it came down to it, our receivers were covered or they weren't able to get space after catch or before the catch and the the passing game the passing game once again stalled because of it. Yeah, and that's that's fair to bring up that not only is Oklahoma good and Oklahoma's a great team. I, I take that back. But I, I'm with you that we'll have to see how they do for the rest of the season, but I would be shocked if Oklahoma ends up as one of the top ten or fifteen best defenses in the country as the year goes on. But after the game and postgame, Urban Meyer was pretty quick to shoot down any speculation of there being any sort of quarterback controversy involving JT Barrett. But for an offense that scored 22.4 points per game in their last five games, it seems like it has to be on the table. What What are your thoughts on Barrett right now and potentially, whether that's Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow, who it looks like is progressing pretty well after his hand injury. What What is your take on that whole situation? Because Matt Brown, if you guys haven't seen yet, go to the website, check out his take on JT Barrett. It's probably the best one that I've seen from the Ohio State portion of, of the college football internet so far, and it's pretty well-reasoned. But I do think that at some point, man, like something's got to change, and it has to start with, with your head guy. And I'm, I'm team JT Barrett to the death, but – this is getting old. Yeah, I think I think that there's a lot of folks who are rightfully upset about what the offense has kind of devolved into in the last season or two or just under JT Barrett after such an incredible freshman season. And obviously I think a lot of the blame has to go to him. There's there's throws that he simply can't make consistently and we've seen that you know hurt the Buckeyes again and again and I while while thinking that those those fans who who would like to see a change are are reasonable and probably justified I I think it's I think you're getting you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you know fans who are expecting an actual change to occur with the quarterback because there are there are things at play in the locker room things at play with leadership when it comes to JT Barrett that that don't necessarily show up in the stat line that I think will prevent a guy like Dwayne Haskins or a guy like Joe Burrow to to get a chance to, you know, prove what they can do on the field as a starter this season. I mean, JT Barrett has been the quarterback for most of Urban Meyer's tenure at Ohio State and much like what we saw with Tim Tebow at Florida, that's JT Barrett is Urban Meyer's guy. That's Urban Meyer's quarterback and I think even if it might not be the best decision when it comes to efficiency and maybe even winning games, I don't I don't see any any situation in which Urban Meyer would go away from his guy. It's also important to note, too, that regardless of what any of us think about Barrett's performance, that to blame him and solely him for how the offense played last night is, I think, very short-sighted because you look at, at the receivers and we saw some of those same troubles they had in the first half against Indiana pop up the whole game last night. They weren't able to create separation. There was the play to Terry McLaurin that I think was in the second quarter that stood out that Barrett threw a beautiful pass down the middle of the field, put it right 
in between his hands and he didn't get his hands on it and he dropped what should have been a sure touchdown and and those are the type of plays it seems like that this receiving core can't make they only had one explosive pass play the whole game it was that reviewed catch to Austin Mack and it sounds like based off of what Eli Apple's mom Andy Apple put out on Twitter last night that Austin suffered a concussion from that play so our best wishes to uh, Austin hope he's doing all right after that because that was a pretty nasty fall but other than that they really didn't have anything to stretch the field in the passing game so I think that the receivers are to blame in this as well the play calling is to blame JT Barrett isn't calling those rollouts you know the the main job of a coach is to put your players in positions to succeed and based off of what we've seen in JT Barrett's career rolling him out right or left isn't the way to do that and then lastly the offensive line and in particular you know Isaiah Prince has has been a guy that's caught a lot of ire from fans especially last season but Ogbonia Okoronkwo he he diced him up last night and he didn't have the best game so I think that the shared blame can can go around and not just be on Barrett's shoulders, even if you are wanting and willing to see a change at quarterback. It's just not solely his fault. Yeah, I I, I think that there are there are definitely people who are blaming Barrett pretty much entirely for the offensive struggles recently, and I that's not fair because um, Zone Six has been pretty much it's, it's pretty much meant uh, six yards a catch on third and ten. I mean, it's it's been bad. Zach Smith's unit has been awful for for the last two seasons now, and the the separation is not there. The ability to catch the ball when they're wide open really isn't there. Um, you mentioned Austin Mack had a really good catch, and I think that's the first time I've seen an Ohio State receiver actually make a play on the ball instead of just letting it hit their hands in. You know, since the 2015 season, and a guy like Michael that was the Thomas. first high point since probably Michael Thomas. Yeah, like <laughs> for the most part, they just run into the ball, and like that's that's when you see drops in the end zone. That's when you see drops in general. I've I've not seen a receiver actually go after the ball because, I mean, a lot of the guys in the receiver in the receiver group and in that unit are former running backs. They're guys who were recruited for their speed and basically. It seemed like they think they could develop them into into guys that can play receiver, and right now it doesn't seem like they have any true receivers outside of Austin Mack and maybe KJ Hill in terms of actually going and catching the football. Let's talk about something that wasn't terrible last night, but should have been used a lot more, and that's the running game. Ohio State had a 53% rushing success rate. They had seven explosive runs. If you guys want to look at the breakdown of everything that happened offense offensively, numbers wise. Go check out Chad Peltier's article on our site. It's a great look and kind of confusing as to why Ohio State, until the end when they fell down, really just got away from the run and more specifically decided not to give the ball to J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber. Dobbins finished the game with 13 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Weber only had three carries for 29 yards, and I think two of those were on the first drive of the game. Mike Weber, even though... It looked like he pulled up lame at some point. I thought he looked great, and I don't know who he pissed off on the coaching staff, but this has become a theme for them where when games get tight, no matter who the offensive coordinator is, we saw it with Tom Herman, we saw it with Ed Warner and Tim Beck, and we saw it in the first time things got tight with Kevin Wilson where whether it's the lowest risk possible, JT Barrett is the guy carrying the ball in. 
Weber and Dobbins totaled 16 carries between the two of them, while JT Barrett had 15 intentional carries by himself. And it's that's just not sustainable. It's not good. And it's baffling to see this come up again and again. And without even getting into the passing game stuff, like just from a running game standpoint, you have these two guys who are tearing Oklahoma's defense apart. And once again, they got away from it. Yeah. And again, as we said last week after the Indiana game, we, we kind of preemptively labeled JK Dobbins a dude. I think it's, I think it's safe to say that JK Dobbins is officially a dude because I mean, he, he, he tore up this defense. He, he was consistently getting big yards. There were a couple of plays. I like, it's, it's hard to pick up watching on TV, but in person, JK Dobbins gets going so quickly. Like, when he gets the ball, all it takes is a split second, and he's in space. It's he's so incredibly quick, and he he moves so well, even when there's not a a big a big hole opened up by the line. And he, I I can't help but think if they had just given him the ball, given Mike Weber the ball, this would have been a different result because J T. Barrett, as as efficient and as solid as he is as an option quarterback and at reading the defense and picking up consistent yards, he's not the big play threat that Dobbins is, and it's hard to it's hard to imagine that Dobbins would not have eventually broken one or even two of those runs that he he nearly took in the in the first half and third quarter. And it's baffling for a couple of reasons because one, the offense has been desperately searching for big play guys, and it seems like your two best options at least right now are J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber and. If you want to open up that passing game in the deep passing game, you would imagine that the way to do that is to ride what you're best at. And that's through the running game. And that's making it so your guys can kind of have some space. And not that defenses aren't giving them space because they're basically daring them to throw deep right now. But despite that, they're still having success running the ball. So it's just kind of baffling overall to see their offensive approach and the way it was in I've referenced this at least once already, but the most frustrating thing is this is the same conversation we had even after a game against Michigan where they won. And this is something we saw all of 2015. This is what we were talking about post-Clemson and and post-Penn State that it just seems to be a recurring theme over and over again. Yeah, and I think think a general theme with this that kind of goes hand-in-hand is just a lack of trust from both JT Barrett and the coaching staff when it comes to anything but what they know, which is JT Barrett running the ball on the option. Um, we've seen JT Barrett hold on to the ball when it comes to when it comes to passing plays probably longer than he should because he doesn't want to force it and possibly make a mistake. And I think the coaching staff feels the same way about you know handing it off to anyone but JT Barrett because when it comes down to it, it seems like in all of the games that Ohio State has lost in the last couple of years, they've lost because they were playing, they were playing not to lose rather than playing to win, and they they play so tight, and that's just that's been a recurring theme since really the 2014 season. Even we, we saw that against Virginia Tech, and maybe as we've seen in years past, like we saw in 2015 when they lost to Michigan State, maybe this game will wake them up. But it's it's just it's disheartening to continuously see close games end like this because they're afraid to do anything but run the ball with JT Barrett. Ohio State's offense scores one touchdown 
in four red zone trips last night. And I like that you brought up that they go back to what they know best. And it seems like when they get into the red zone, that is those Barrett rollouts, whether it's a run or a pass on first down. And we saw last night at least twice when they got inside the red zone, that play calling really hurt them. Yeah, the most frustrating sequence I think that I can pick out from the game last night was after the Austin Mack catch. The I think we were on probably the six, seven yard line. We were right inside the red zone. And the the crowd was all into it. We had all the momentum after the big you know, the big Mac catch and we saw the Buckeyes go to pretty much two straight option keepers for Barrett and then a an overthrown uh, flag route to the back of the end zone and it was just it was really it was really disappointing to see because they could have thrown that flag route on first down they could have there were so many things that they could have done in that situation and J.K. Dobbins had been just gashing the defense for the entire possession and they went away from him when it mattered and it resulted in yet another red zone field goal the crazy thing about this game I think too was even though Ohio State lost by 15, and it already was a blowout anyway, Oklahoma dominated this game. It wasn't even as close as the score would indicate, given how many chances that Oklahoma botched in the first half that Ohio State really didn't even have a part of. So you look back on this game, and it's already bad enough, but when you really go back and look through the numbers and study there was no reason for it to be even as close as it was. Yeah, Oklahoma Oklahoma deserved to probably score 50 points in this game. Ohio State was just was awful for pretty much the entire game. They started off the third quarter pretty they they looked to open up the offense a little bit more early on in the third quarter, but they went away from that pretty quickly after a after that ended in another red zone field goal. But especially in the first half Oklahoma was just just giving Ohio State chances to take control of the game. They had two fumbles, um, including one on a lateral that was reviewed and ultimately decided to be a, a fumble. But Oklahoma had all kinds of chances, as you said, and they were they were obviously the better team in this game. They had a missed kick. They had a number of possessions where they went for it on fourth down and just couldn't pick it up. But I don't think Ohio State's offense was really showed up much by the defense the defense was probably just as bad yeah I'm looking through the the game logs here and they're 6.8 yards per play given up at least on a cursory glance are the most that they gave up since that crazy Cincinnati game in 2014 where they gave up 8.12 so this is the worst showing by the defense at least on a yards per play basis in over three and a half years which is crazy to think about you look at Mayfield stats 27 of 35 386 yards three touchdowns no interceptions and to me and Matt Brown brought this up on Twitter during the game every time there was an incompletion which there weren't many from Mayfield it felt like a minor miracle and it brought me back to like that first time you played on Heisman mode (laughs) in NCAA and you go against the computer's offense and like it just takes a miracle for there to be an incomplete pass that's what it looked like last night and kudos to Mayfield and Lincoln Riley especially for the way that they schemed up Ohio State because it didn't look like they had a shot at making any sort of play on on a pass last night at all yeah Baker Mayfield played a great game um Lincoln Riley called a great game but I think I think a lot of the blame for Oklahoma's I mean relative ease moving the football especially through the air goes to Ohio State's defense I mean 
Oklahoma's number one receiver was their fullback. <laughs> he he completely Dimitri Flowers completely gashed the defense across the middle, and pretty much every other receiver did. Even when you know, star tight end Mark Andrews went down in the first quarter, it really didn't matter because there was there was no semblance of defense in the middle of the field, and the tackling was poor, the coverage was poor. There was really nothing outside of the defensive line that was impressive on the defensive side of the game. A lot of blame, I think, is being talked about in regards to the corners, and I think that that's fair, especially Damon Arnett, who did not have a very good game. But we didn't see a lot of the safeties against Indiana. Indiana opted to throw more outside, and I think that was one thing we were all looking at is, okay, Oklahoma's going to utilize a lot more of the middle of the field, and we're going to see Jordan Fuller, and we're going to see Eric Smith. And in the latter case, I, I think that they really got exposed at their youth along the safety position last night. Yeah, there was a there was a play that stands out in particular. It was actually a, a touchdown to um, I, I want I want to say it was Dimitri Flowers. Flowers shook Eric Smith. He shook <laughs> him out of his cleats. Yeah, Eric Smith, um, a redshirt senior who. Probably should know how to take tackling angles at this point. Was completely, yeah, as you said, he was completely shook by a fullback. It was, it was bad. There was, there was a number of plays where Damon Arnett would have had a, ta- a tackle like in the backfield if he hadn't just run directly at the football, and they ended up getting gashed for a big play on a number of those plays. But he wasn't the only one. Um, you know, uh, Kendall Sheffield didn't have a very good game. Denzel Ward got beat a number of times across the middle. The linebackers, for the most part, which was supposed to be a strength of this unit, only losing Raquan McMillan, didn't didn't look good at all in coverage, and they didn't look good in the rare times that they blitzed, or if there was ever a zone. I don't think I ever saw a zone in the game, but they just Oklahoma was pretty much able to have whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted across the middle, and. In large part, it was due to either a lack of coverage or Baker Mayfield pretty much just being able to run free when the play broke down. The linebacker play was maybe the most shocking thing in the whole game to me because in hindsight, if you know somebody from the future were to tell you or me or the listeners that Ohio State's offense struggled again, you would be surprised, but at the same time, we have all of this evidence from the last three years, and if somebody says, hey, the passing game was terrible again, then that makes sense. But the linebacker play, especially with Chris Worley and Jerome Baker, who wasn't really anywhere to be seen and really wasn't anywhere in the Indiana game either, I thought that that was a big surprise. Worley made a couple of plays, but Baker just seemed lost, and Malik Harrison did not look good in his first real extended big time minutes in a game like this yeah the linebackers were obviously they they looked overmatched a lot of times they were lining up on slot receivers instead of tight ends which is what would you would what you would ideally want but that's something that Oklahoma has done for years and that's something that probably should have been combated with a with a formation swap and maybe bringing in a third or even a fourth defensive back which makes me think they because they didn't do that it makes me think that maybe the defensive back depth is not nearly as impressive as we've been told it was with the with the star freshmen like uh jeffrey okuda or sean wade and perhaps those guys aren't ready to to play big time college football at least not yet and um that that lack of depth and the you know linebackers covering guys like cd lamb or uh jeff 
Jeff Badette just they got gashed across the middle because they were not they were not nearly fast enough or good enough in coverage and really the only time the linebackers looked competent was against the run and even then they allowed quite a few yards to a, a not all that impressive freshman running back. The line probably if you're gonna judge who had the best game relative to any other position group on the defense it was probably the defensive line. Uh, but even then, they didn't really. They certainly didn't make as many plays as they did in the Indiana game. And the only person I think that really stood out, not only on the line but the defense as a whole, was Sam Hubbard. Hubbard had a fantastic game. He had at least one sack, I think maybe two, and had a couple of tackles for losses. But other than him, there wasn't a ton of plays. Tracy Sprinkle made an early play behind the backfield, but. Oklahoma didn't have a lot of success rushing the ball, but it felt like whenever they needed to get yards on the ground, they were able to. Yeah, the defense, it, it, it felt at times just unable to stop anything, and that was really surprising with how, how good we know this defensive line can be and how good this defensive line was against Indiana. Um, as you said, the outside of Sam Hubbard and I would say Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa had a pretty good game, but outside of those two, it really didn't seem like anyone stepped up on the defensive line. I don't think I heard Tyquan Lewis's name called once. Jalen Holmes didn't seem to play for much of the game. Tracy Sprinkle had, as you said, the big tackle, but Draymond Jones struggled. Um, for the most part, it just seemed like Oklahoma was was dominating with their with their offensive line, and when it came down to it, Ohio State didn't have the firepower to to stop it, which was really surprising given the amount of talent on that line. The only play I can remember from Lewis was that he had one pass breakup earlier on in the game, but other than that, there, there didn't seem to be a lot of pressure on his part. And ultimately, for the defense as a whole, a lot the offense is going to get a ton of blame, and that's fair because Oklahoma, you're not just going to shut down a team like Oklahoma, and, and kudos to them. They have a lot of great players. Mayfield's an awesome quarterback. But at the end of the day, the defense only forced one punt, and it was late in the game. So, and you know, you, you want to say that uh, they forced two turnovers. They really only forced one. You know, I, I don't think you can really objectively count that backwards screen pass that bounced right up into Damon Webb's hand as a forced turnover. So as much shit is being piled on on the offense today, and rightfully so, the defense has their fair share of blame in what happened. Yeah, I'm looking at um, Tyquan Lewis's stat line right now. Um Kicker Blake Howbeal had more tackles than he did. That's never good. No, that's not great. <laughs> you know what was great? I mean, if we're going to talk about special teams, uh, and even special teams weren't that great, but punting was punting was great. Drew Chrisman, that's two straight games in a row, so maybe Ohio State will be good at punter. That's like one positive that you can come away from this game with. And the, uh, the other thing that was really surprising to me, and this is, I guess, really inside baseball, but we've seen Ohio State's kick coverage unit be probably the best in the country at being able to pin teams back when they kick to the left and they kick inside the 10. Last night it wasn't working, and they kept sticking with the strategy whenever they would kick off, and Oklahoma was busting off some pretty big returns. So even from a unit like them, who's been very good, they didn't have a great showing either last night. So all around the board, I think, other than punting, which was pretty spectacular, I'd say was pretty close to a fail. Yeah, um... Shout out Drew Chrisman. That's that's another dude. Him and J.K. Dobbins are the two dudes on this team right now. But yeah, outside of outside of the punting game and um, a nice Paris Campbell return to I think to open the second half, the special teams was bad. Um, as you said, only forced one punt, and that's more on the defense. But 
the uh, the kick coverage was frequently giving up anywhere from 30 to 35 yards. There was a couple times where Oklahoma seemed like they were they were a tackle away from breaking it, and you never want your your kicker to have to make tackles, and it seems like that was continuously having to happen to to prevent a touchdown. And I think the number one thing that I saw that could be to blame for that was that a lot of the kickoffs were very low. Um, they seemed – they were often kind of line drives more than anything, and it's really hard to, to cover a kickoff when you can't get down there before the kick is actually recovered. Um, so I think, I think really the, um, that, that could be more to anything. That could be – more to blame than anything else when it comes to the kickoffs. Shout out to Siri. Even she wants to give yeah. us some analysis on this thing. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like trying to kick her under the table. <laughs> also, Paris Campbell had a nice return to kick off the second half too, which without that return that put Ohio State in plus field position, that was a touchdown drive. Ohio State probably doesn't score without that kickoff return. So I think that for a multitude of reasons, and, and if you look back and watch this game, it could have and should have been a lot worse, but – as we wrap this up, do you have any final takeaways from the game and, and what you're expecting as we head forward? Have your expectations changed for Ohio State this season? What do you what do you want to see, not only against Army, but against UNLV in the next couple of weeks as Ohio State gears up for conference play? Well, as I was kind of reflecting on this game last night and kind of half watching Washington State and Boise State, I was kind of turning it over in my head, and I, I think I realized exactly the last thing I want this season to be and what I think this season's going to be, and it, it kind of it kind of paints what it's like to be an Ohio State fan in 2017, that this is, this is a bad scenario, but I think that this Ohio State team probably still goes 11-1. Um, I think JT Barrett will remain at quarterback. I think that their, their talent and Eventually, when the defense figures out what they're doing, the defense will do what they've done the last three years and kind of drag a bad offensive team to, you know, an 11 and one record, probably a top five finish, maybe a Big Ten title appearance, and then a like a bad loss to an actually good team. And for that to be worst case scenario is really it feels you know it feels like you know, spoiled fan talk, but that would mean an entire other season of pretty much unwatchable offensive football and you know stressful 30 to 23 games and just like not not getting started on the future of the offense which would be either Dwayne Haskins or Joey Burrow and when it comes down to it that's you know that's disappointing but that's what we've seen the last 2 years that's a plausible scenario, too. I think if I had to pick one, it would be that because we go back and it's the same thing and it's uh, we got to get the passing game fixed or you have corners, young corners at least, struggling early on, and I think I'm with you that they'll get better as the season goes on. The defensive line rotation will, I think, continue to be the best in the nation. They'll play a lot better than they did against Oklahoma, but it's hard to see – this team losing more than two games despite their problems because like I said about Matt's piece and you guys should really go check it out because it's it's so well reasoned that JT Barrett isn't a bad quarterback but Ohio State has a certain offense with him and they can run that offense and they'll have success with it but when they play these big time teams and you 
you play a defense that's better than Oklahoma's, especially with Penn State on the horizon and Michigan on the horizon. I think you can throw Iowa, at least with their defense there. That's on the horizon later in the season. And even Michigan State, who like could be secret trash again, but Ohio State struggled with them every single season, that you're probably going to see these games where they're able to run the ball well, they're not able to create explosive passing plays. JT Barrett has to run the ball 17, 18 times. And I don't want to say it would be a lost season because I, I hate doing that because I think it diminishes the work that these kids put in. And for us as fans to be like, oh, it's the season's gone to shit, it's lost. I don't think that that's particularly fair, but that it's likely that we'll head into the offseason with the same questions there were last year and the year before that, I think would be a real shame for the program when, like you're saying, it seems like if they want to take the risk, not only at quarterback, but at some other positions too, I think offensive line would be one to look and see what they have with some of these younger guys. Secondary, corner, especially against a team like UNLV, we're not going to know against Army next week just because they don't throw the ball, but I want to see these kids get some playing time and see what they can do, and we'll talk about it on the preview pod for army later this week you know if people want to see Dwayne Haskins I think the next two weeks are the weeks to do it because they're probably going to get a big lead in both of these games and I would be very disappointed if they stick to the formula that they had against Indiana and last year in the Nebraska game in particular that sticks out where they got up big but in the third quarter and until late in the fourth quarter JT Barrett was still in there running with maybe not the ones, but the backups trying to build a rapport with them. And I think at this point you have to get Haskins or Burrow or whoever that is on the field and get them those live game reps. So you can't fall back on the, well, he's never played. So we don't know how he's going to do these next two weeks, I think are big for that and getting those type of players ready for the rest of the season. Yeah. I think, I think you're spot on with, um, I don't think that this season would feel, and I, I agree that I hate to say lost season, and I don't think this season would feel lost if we see some young guys start to start to get a chance, either at quarterback or on the offensive line or even at wide receiver. And when it comes down to it, I don't know if that's fair to expect, but um, hopefully against against Army, we will get a chance to see the backup quarterback late in the game. And um, just as a PSA for that game, um, anyone anyone listening who will assumingly be watching that game um don't don't feel like you're required to watch that game until the end because there's probably not going to be any forward passes in it and clemson louisville will be playing and (laughs) that's a way better game (laughs) that's a that's a way more fun football game go watch lamar jackson play treat yourself you deserve it i had usc and stanford on the second screen during the ohio state game and it was so sad like looking over at random points in the game and especially early, like there was a flurry of big plays happening and seeing Bryce love streak down the field for like a 75 yard touchdown. And then some blue chip former recruit receiver for USC is making this big 40 yard catch. And then looking at Ohio state where like completing an eight yard pass is such a chore. And it's like, why, why is it so hard to just be able to do that? Like the talents there, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, watch watch Lamar Jackson throw a football. That's that's how you can that's how you can get past Ohio State losing to Oklahoma. Watch Lamar Jackson throw a football because he's real good at it. And for as great as a uh, a crowd and experience as the OU game was, at least early on, 
before things got out of hand. I can bet that the uh, the Army game and the UNLV game, for that matter, probably won't have the same type of juice to it. No, probably not. And I actually I would like to to say something about the crowd. Um, it was really disappointing uh, the amount of people that left when it was it was like it was like an eleven point game. After that fourth down, there was a lot of people leaving, and I mean, <laughs> those tickets are expensive. It's it's not a cheap ticket to see Ohio State play, especially not against Oklahoma. And, yes, the team was losing, and they were pretty much just getting dunked on for the entire game. But if you if you pay to go to one of those games, stay for the end. Because I just, I, I can't, I can't get myself into that, into that mindset of, of going to an Ohio State game and maybe, I mean, if you have a young child, that's, that's the only time that I think I would understand. But go, go. Go support the team, and you know, in the fourth quarter when they're driving, be willing to cheer and you know, and clap and and watch watch your team play because you paid for it. And these guys are these guys aren't getting, you know, they're not. This is a good football team, and I think I think they deserve people to be there for for the entire game and deserve to have people supporting them because they. They give a lot. They give a lot of their time and they give a lot of their effort to, to, you know, basically to entertain people and to hopefully eventually get actually paid for for the contributions that they make on the football field. And, I mean, those guys, recruits who are on the sidelines, they see that, they hear that, and they see... Yeah, yeah they notice they that see, stuff. They see the fans leaving early in the fourth quarter down 11 points, and they, like, that's just, that's not a good look, and that's... That's a good way to get loyal. As that's that's a good way to get labeled as the spoiled fan base, and that's I don't know. That's not the Ohio State fan base that I love. Yeah, I agree with that. Whether you're at the game watching or or tweeting about it, you know, keep it. It's I think it's okay. And we've been, you know, we've been pretty negative on this, but you know, I think that there's a lot of people that I don't even want to read JT Barrett's mentions on his Twitter. I don't want to read any of the, the secondaries mentions, you know, we may not like Zach Smith as a coach, but you know, I'm sure people aren't saying the nicest things to him and recruits see that players see that parents of players see that. And it's really unfortunate. And like you're saying, if you're there, support the team and, and let them, you know, know that, you know, whether it's it, cause it's, it's fine. To, it's great to be a fan when things are going well and Ohio state's beating Alabama and then beating Oregon and winning the national title. But it's harder to do that when things like last night happen. And to your point, and I think this is a good place for us to finish off here, despite how bad everything was last night, this is still a pretty damn good football team. And I don't think we're going to see them play that bad of a game the rest of the season. And this is going to be a team that probably wins double-digit games, can still win the Big Ten, can still make the playoff, and can still win a national championship in theory. I, I don't think losing to OU took away any of their goals last night. So it's important to keep that in mind that despite how bad things were, that you know all of what they want to do is still on the table. It's just a matter of whether they can do it or not. Yeah. Enjoy J.K. Dobbins while we have him. Enjoy guys like that. Enjoy Austin yes. Mack. Enjoy, enjoy college football. It's a fun game. Sometimes your team loses. Um, there's still, there's still going to be fun things about it. And I think sometimes when a loss like this happens, a lot of people get way too caught up in the in the moment, and I think we saw that again last night. And when it comes down to it, this is this is one game in a series of very many games that will be happening in this college football season, and it's just 
everybody just needs to kind of kind of cool down i think a little bit <laughs> well and it's something we didn't even talk about which i'm glad and i shouldn't have posted on our twitter account that it was okay for baker mayfield <laughs> to plant the flag in the middle of the o i personally didn't have a problem with it i think it's great when these kids are able to show their personality and i know that it, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way but i think stuff like that is great and you know if ohio state's defense wants to hold the basic defense sign after last year then you know you, you better be prepared for that as well but I think too that that's something to where those kids are going to see that and they're going to see video of Baker Mayfield doing that and you know we can as fans act like it hurts us the most but it goes back to that thing where these kids are the ones that are putting in the effort and for as you know bad as we all feel about it watching it they feel a hundred times worse because they're the ones that are actually putting it out there and if you think that those kids didn't see that video of Mayfield doing that and that's not going to motivate them for the rest of the season you know just beyond the loss then you know I, I think that that's something to look at going forward and you mentioned earlier we've seen this program under Urban Meyer play some of their best football after these losses and the Virginia Tech season that's that's the one that stands out the most and those have been the two times that they've lost early and they didn't have enough time in 2015 to correct their issues. This year they do. It's a matter of time. We'll have to wait and see. We're not even at Big Ten play yet, but this could be something that galvanizes the team and, and they make a push just like they did in 2014. So it's all still on the table for them. Yeah, it's it's a long season. Um, there's no reason to, to, to watch the rest of the games thinking – you know that everything sucks and it's a lost season. That's that's no way to, that's no way to watch one of the best sports, you know, on earth. And that's just, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> well, we want to thank everybody for being miserable with us. We hope this podcast has kind of let you guys move on and and digest the loss. And if you guys have any comments about the podcast or anything that we may not have hit on, make sure to uh, to. Follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can send me a tweet at Dubsco. Patrick, where can they find you on the internet? People can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, if, they, if they want to, to talk Ohio State football, if they want to talk Pac-12 after dark, I will. I'm always posting. I'll never log off. I will never log off either. This podcast will never log off. Make sure to find us at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand or go to iTunes on Apple Podcasts search the hangout in the holy land subscribe leave a review leave us some feedback there and let us know what you think about the show and until wednesday when we break down army and hopefully next week when patrick and i have probably a more jovial post-game podcast after the army game hopefully next sunday we will talk to you then but until then for patrick mayhorn i'm colton denning we want to thank you for listening this is the hangout in the holy land and go bucks <laughs>